0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: We are almost in the middle of a series, and this series is called Comfort for the Troubled Heart. And sometimes as I speak on this topic, some of you might have everything going so well, especially if you're new to the island, you must think that everybody here on the island, everything is just going great, you know, beautiful sunshine, beautiful weather, beautiful people, and all of that, and it really is, this is almost a paradise. But at the same time, we still go through the same struggles and trials of everyone else. In fact, I just read recently of a statistic that was put in the newspaper that had asked the question, how many of you that are reading this paper and want to cooperate in this uh, survey, have been either robbed or had something stolen, a theft going on in your life. And I was so shocked to see the response. Seventy-four percent of the people responded by saying that they have experienced while living on the island a theft or some form of a robbery that went on in their life. And I can only think that that must have really kind of messed up their life. It kind of it kind of brought their heart a great deal of trouble. If you've ever had someone break into your home and they go through your stuff, whether they took it or they left some damage and some scattered items in the living room or the bedroom or wherever, you know, you really feel violated because they went through your stuff and they took your stuff. How could they do that? Not so much that you would say, I wish they took someone else's, but it was, why do they do mine? And so you know you go through that. And maybe some of you have gone through that. That's a troubled heart. If you go back down memories lane, you might have some of that going on. But you know, some of you might be seated there and thinking, you know, I, I don't need this message today. I really want to kind of get on with other things than a troubled heart. That's so depressing. I want to remind you that you probably, and I am too, are one event or just a few minutes away from something that could be almost catastrophic. This past week I was in my office and my cell phone rang and it was from a friend of mine named Mark and as soon as I see him up on the screen I I immediately remember how we had a Bible institute in San Antonio and he and his wife came because he wanted to be trained for ministry while having a very very successful accounting firm in san antonio and so he's been a part of our accounting with make it clear for over 30 years almost 35 years now and been a great guy really enjoyed so i hey mark how you doing brother and he said uh stan i need to tell you something my wife and i uh, go every summer as we know to Fun valley which is in colorado And he said, we went to Pagosa Springs and my wife wasn't feeling so well and I went into the springs, got changed, got into the Pagosa Springs and my wife never came out of the ladies room and so I finally had to go find out what was going on and she was in there ashen white, could hardly speak and she says, I'm in so much pain, something is wrong. So they rushed her to the hospital, and after many tests, they found out that she had an aneurysm on her aorta, and it was about tearing, the best they could tell. So they had to life flight her from Pagosa Springs, which is way deep into the mountains, all the way to Colorado Springs. And he then, away from their campsite, was with his truck and had to race, if you know what I mean. If you're a husband, you know what I mean, down into Colorado Springs. And by the time they worked on her since Monday, she only began to wake up this morning. Now, all I can tell you is that Mark has a troubled heart as any normal person would have. Having a troubled heart when things are awry in your life is acceptable biblically. Even Jesus at one time said he had a troubled heart. Now, it seems like Linda, his wife, has turned the corner. But again, he didn't know that Sunday night. It's just like you don't know what could happen to someone in your family and I'm not pronouncing any kind of prediction on that. I just want to equip you so that you be ready when something happens to your world that will trouble your heart. Now, we see things improving there, but sometimes they don't improve. Three weeks ago, like many kids in the mainland, they go off to camp and they often go on multiple buses if it's a large church. And the buses were all returning, and the last bus to come in was the bus that had all the kids on it, not all the luggage and the camping gear. It was less than a mile from the church, and when it did, somehow the driver lost control of the bus on the down ramp, the off ramp. It careened and slammed into a particular wall, a buttress there. And the youth pastor and his pregnant wife were killed along with a chaperone on that bus. And the youth pastor happened to be the son of the senior pastor. You can only imagine the troubled hearts. Interestingly enough, is that when the TV crews were at the church while this was still going on just up the road, they were so surprised that the TV reporters were saying how calm the parents and family member and friends are of these people that have lost so much in this tragic bus wreck. Now again, I don't mean this to be a doom and gloom message, but as your shepherd, I want to wrap my arms around you and I want to prepare all of us for those times that we don't expect that something comes into our life. Sometimes it's by God's prescription to build character. Other times he permits it. Often it's just because we're a sinful people living in a sinful world and this is what's going to happen until we finally get to heaven and that's the joy of the Lord providing for us that escape hatch, which would be the cross, and the person is Jesus Christ, the rescuer, the Savior, if you know Christ as Savior. So that's why I'm maybe slowing down a lot in the Gospel of John in John chapter 14 and talking about the troubled hearts, because what I'm wanting to do is to maybe talk to you as if you're wearing two hats. The first hat would be the one who had something happen that troubled your heart, so I could show you from Scripture how your heart can be calmed and comforted during those times of trouble. But at the same time, the second hat is is that I would like to equip you that here in this church that you would be able to come alongside others that are going through times of trouble and their hearts are troubled, and you can show them in a correct and biblical way how their hearts can be comforted. So it's kind of unique. While you're learning about your own heart, you're also learning about trying to help someone else that also has a troubled heart. And I think a good place to begin, although the meat of what we're saying is in John 14, I'd like you to, for a moment, flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you'll all turn in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We have different Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Just reach underneath and grab a Bible out. If you don't own a Bible, it is now your Bible and you own one. It's that Bible and you take it home with you. Now some of you that are new on your faith walk or new to discover Christianity, I want to kind of prepare you today. I'm going to be kind of all over scripture on this topic, although I'll spend a little bit of time in our Gospel of John. I am going through verse by verse, John, but I need to open this up a little bit more. So I might speak a lot of information to you, and so I would like to just encourage you. I want you to grab what you can grab, realize you might not get it all, it is okay if you don't because it's line upon line, precept upon precept. I also want you to know that this message, as it is every week, is recorded. You can download it within the week, right from our website. You can listen to it on the radio five days a week, so you can still hear it again and again. And I had a Bible teacher one time that said that repetition is theological mucilage, or I like to say, the more mud you sling against the wall, the more that's going to stick. So the more you hear God's word, this will work. That doesn't sound good. It sounds like the word of God is mud and your brain and is the wall. But the point is still, you keep getting it, and you'll finally get it, and I really want want you to know that. So let's look over here at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to approach it from the first part, and that is when you're afflicted, all right? When you have this thing that comes in your life that troubles your heart. Look, if you will, at 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through verse 5. Now, it continues with the idea of affliction and suffering throughout the rest of the chapter, but I just want to park on verses 3 through 5 for a moment. Notice what Paul says, himself, a man who is greatly afflicted, and you could read about that in the Corinthian epistles here, but particularly he says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You might want to circle the word Father there because it's rarely that he refers to God as Father. He does it sometimes, but this time he is really tapping down on this Father of mercies. Now I often ask myself, why would he do that? I believe because in the Jewish culture which most of them are coming out of, particularly Paul, and although there were Gentiles there, they would understand, watch this now, the paternal influence of a benevolent father, that dads were the providers and the protectors of the family, and so he is now awakening their minds that God is a father, God cares. Now the problem we have today is we run that through the grid of all the kind of dads we might have had and some of them weren't those that would provide or protect. They often would um, flee and they weren't there or they were mean or whatever. I want you now not to look at God through the eyes of your own dad. I want you to look at God through the eyes of Scripture here. He's a benevolent father and it says the father, and I love this phrase, it says the father of mercies. He could have said the father of peace. But in this case he said mercy because sometimes we have a troubled heart because of things that happen to us because of things we did wrong. We are suffering a troubled heart because of affliction we brought on ourselves through wrong or sinful choices that we made. And so he's still trying to remind us, though, that he's the father of mercies, that you get a do-over again with God if you come to him properly. And then he says he's also the God of all comfort. Now, you could underline God and you could underline comfort, but I would rather circle the word all. That means whatever comfort that is acceptable and biblical, he is the God of all comfort. So I'd like to say it this way. Whatever dynamic of God's comfort you need, whatever's in God's medicine chest of comfort that you need, He is the God of all of that, and He will reach into you, and He will touch you with the comfort that you particularly need. Now, I want you to hold that thought, because I'm going to open it up in the next verse. But think, of, think in terms of, I need comfort. It's going to come from God. He's the author of it. It's, he's the source of all comfort. He's the provider of it, and I love this too. He is the promised one for comfort. I'll go back to the passage. Verse 4, who comforts us. Now I link that back to who comforts us. It's not going to come through a lot of chemical things or escapisms. It's not going to come through denial or giving other people a heart attack. It's going to come from the Lord. Who? He's the one who comforts us. It goes on to say, those who are in any affliction. Now the word affliction itself means to be pressured, like in a pressure cooker. It's like you're kind of, you feel like the walls are, Caving in around you. It feels like you can't take anymore. It's like you're ready to explode. You just want to pull your hair out. You want to scream. Have any of you ever, at any time, ever felt that kind of pressure? Say, uh huh. We've all felt that if we're honest. That's what that affliction means some kind of pressure. Now, in the context, I think it's more of persecution, pressure, whatever, but it doesn't really matter. It says, in all our afflictions, so whether it's religious affliction because you took a stand for Christ, or whether it's a health affliction or a financial affliction or relational affliction, whatever it is, he comforts us in all our affliction. Circle the word all again. That means there is no affliction that God himself could not bring you comfort in. So the center of our life has got to be God. We have to research and know God is the one who provides that comfort. Now the question might be, how does he do it? Through whom will he do it? When will he do it? That's all found in scripture. And that's why I implore you to get a good Bible, read it, study it, go to as many Bible classes as you can, learn it to apply it, kind of a thing. So it says here, He comforts us in all our affliction. Go on, it says. So that we will be able to comfort those who are are also in any affliction. Now, this is really critical right here. In other words, it is quite possible, and I think it even verges closely to probable, that the Lord allows us to go through things that bring pressure into our lives. So that in turn, we then can go to the Lord for the comfort we need, which now builds an intimacy with the Lord that helps us to know Him better, because it's all about Him. Our intimacy with Him will fuel our outreach to others, so it helps us to know Him. Then, when someone else goes through an issue, now what we do is we don't give them our suggestions. We give them God. We give them biblical teachings. We give them what God says the comfort that he gave to us. We now will provide for them. Now that does two things. That then drives that person closer to the Lord because it would be God's comfort all about God to that person. So that's drawing him closer to the Lord. In addition to that, it is also... Allowing the Lord to do something that He wants for all of humanity, and that is to get closer to one another. That's called fellowship, especially with Christians. So when we go through affliction, we go to the Lord. He fills our tank. We have others that are going through affliction. We reach out to them. We help them with God's comfort, so they're drawn closer to the Lord, but they're also drawn closer to us because we can't help them unless we engage them. Now go back to the passage again. It says here, in all our afflictions so that we be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with we, which we ourselves are comforted by God. When I read that, I would like to kind of share with you a little polemics here. Some people will say the only time we can really help someone is if we go through what they went through. So in other words, you show me your scar, I'll show you my scar, You know, kind of a thing. We'll kind of identify with scars. So they have a lot of different groups out there identifying with one another wherever they are. I don't really see that in scripture. Now naturally, yeah, it might be that you've got kids that have like my kids and you might have a husband like mine, you might have a job like mine, you might have issues in life like we have, we might have the same empathy because we have the same type of career. I, I, I get that, okay, I get that. But if we say we can't counsel someone unless we have gone through what they've gone through or to the extent of what they've gone through, I think we've really missed the boat. Because in this passage here, it says that whatever we're going through, all our affliction, He comforts us so we can comfort anybody in any kind of affliction. And here's why. We're not trying to say, well, you think that's bad. You ought to hear what I've gone through. And if I went through it, you can go through it. That doesn't solve anything. What we do now is we say, I've had some really rough times, but here's what the Lord taught me. Here's how He brought it to my life. Here's how my life is better. Here's how character is coming to my life. Here's what's happened for me so I could bring glory to the Lord. Here's how I'm making it through with the fruit of the Spirit and joy and all of that. And let me share it with you. So it's not like I bit the bullet harder than you bit the bullet, so that's why I'm happy. No, I went to the Lord and He helped me. So that is now unleashing all of us to capitalize on whatever affliction we have to draw us closer to the Lord through all of the teaching, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, so that we now can come alongside other people and to help them, whether or not we've gone through the same crisis that they have. Well, let's go a little bit further, all right? Verse 5 says, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Again, the suffering, Christ, issues, he's in charge, large and in charge of all of that, but also the comfort is all from Christ so all of it is to bring people into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ so now that being said I want to take us back to John for just a little bit here because I want to show you the whole concept of why we're saying this about troubles turn to John 14 so again we have affliction when we have affliction and we are comforted and now we get that comfort from the Lord and now we look to other people and we try to help them so that's where we're going that's the premise of why we can teach from these two different angles today All right, look in verse 1. It says here, the Lord speaking, do not let your heart be troubled. And then he tells us what to do through the rest of the chapter. Again, the implication is that you will have a troubled heart. Don't let it be troubled. And here's how to overcome that. For those of you that are new to this study, you might need to know when this chapter was kind of dropped in in history. This is Jesus. Jesus is now at the Last Supper. And you can read it Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of that. He's at the Last Supper. He's giving a lot of teaching. Judas Iscariot just left the scene to go do his stuff with his uh, shenanigans with the high priest and the elders and some of the temple court officials, etc. So he's out getting the whole betrayal thing going on Jesus right now. Who's left are the 11 other guys, and now Jesus is speaking to them. Now you have to understand, they did not read the rest of John, they did not know the book of Acts, they didn't know what the rest of their life would look like. All they knew was they hung around Jesus, he did a lot of great stuff. Um, he's going to be king. Maybe now. Hopefully now, uh, he can heal people, and I like his teaching, especially when it talks about having eternal life. So he's a pretty cool, dude, right over here. But there's some real people out there that are really agitated with him, and now we're having this Last Supper, and Jesus is talking about that he's going someplace. We can't go now, but he's going to come for us. But we're going to go later. And what's going on right here? So there's confused with it. Let me back it up now with Christ. That tells me that Christ says, "I have a message. I have a purpose." I've got to build this kingdom. I have a plan for this whole future. These guys that I'm about to teach, they're all in it, but they know nothing about the suffering. They know nothing about the launching of what we might call Christianity. They're just fishermen for the most part. And he says, so I've got to prepare them for what I know is going to be coming against them. That tells me a lot. There's a whole sermon in that, leadership preparation, helping the emerging leaders go. It talks to me about a shepherd who cares for those who are going to go through suffering. It talks about like a father who is a father of mercies, which would be Christ, knowing that they're going to go through affliction, preparing them for that. So that's what he's doing at this point. And maybe the Lord is preparing you and me for some affliction that he only knows is going to come our way. And that you're to be prepared for that. So he talks about, let not your heart be troubled. Then he goes through a series of teaching here. And if you want to take out your sermon notes, you can, because in them is some of the outline we already covered. He starts by saying, believe in me as you do God. That's a very important thing. They already believed in God, but he says, you've got to ramp it up. You've got to believe in me because I am God. You have to realize that I'm just not a great teacher here. I'm not just a neat rabbi. He says, I am God. So you have to believe in him as you do God. Then he says, I'm going to come back for you so you can be with me. And the only way you can get to heaven, get to God is through me, so I'm coming back for you, so you better believe in me. That seems to all fit together when you're trying to counsel someone who's going through some affliction. You've got to get them theocentric in whatever problems they have. Now that's very important what I'm saying. It doesn't mean deny earthly issues, physical problems, but to you're working that conversation, you're working the comfort around the fact that you have to see that in this event that God is at the center of it, and in this case, it's He's not only at the center, but to get to God, you got to do it through Jesus Christ. And if you recall, I said a couple of weeks ago, sometimes we talk so much about God this and God that and God this and God that. The world can do that, but all you got to do is bring up Jesus Christ, and it's a little bit of a you you mention the name Jesus, and Jesus is saying, "Yeah, you get to God the Father, but you got to get it through Me." And then He talked about, "And I'm going to come back. For, who's going? I'm going to come back for you, and you're going to be with Me," which means. You might give them all the solutions of how to deal with the affliction in your life, but you're never going to be able to get them totally out of debt. You're never going to be able to get that wayward, rebellious child to come back and respect mom and dad again. You might never be able to change their world to maybe ease the affliction. We may not. We might, may not. And if we don't, it's okay because this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Do you believe that? And that's what he's trying to say right here. Your world... It's not going to get better. These guys, they had some work days. They had some warfare days. They had some honeymoon days ahead. But they still had trials and afflictions. And all of them but one died a martyr's death. And the one who didn't die the martyr's death was still martyred. He just didn't die in the martyrdom. They boiled him in oil and he still lived. So, Jesus says, I'm going to come back for you so you can be with me. So you can't promise that the affliction will be gone. Then he says here, you'll do even greater things than I'm doing right here. Basically, if you want to help someone, whatever they're going through, sometimes the best thing they can do... little motorcycle out there. My mom got a new motorcycle, so just let her go by. Just joking. Back to this. What you need to do is to help them understand that sometimes when they start doing what they ought to do, that relieves some of the affliction. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. You have what is known as... um, behavioral modification. Behavioral modification says if you begin to do these things, certain things begin to happen. You begin to overcome some bad habits and perhaps new habits set in and you might have a a little bit better circumstance in your life, whatever that is. I'm being very general on this thing. So is behavioral modification biblical or not? It is to a degree. First of all, the scripture says that if your thoughts are right, your behavior will be right. And I'm going to speak to that in just a moment. But it also says, commit your works unto the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So it's quite possible that in the midst of all that these disciples and what they're going to be going through, Jesus is saying, I did some great works, but you're going to do greater works, in the sense that I gave the gospel to these people, you're going to give the gospel to so many more people, you're going to go to so many more places than I did physically when I was on the earth, as Jesus did over here. And so you've got some great works, spiritually and extensively in scope that you're going to do so in other words what he's doing is taking them and looking no matter what you're going through whatever it is watch this now there is a bigger picture of something else that's going on so maybe you're going through some really tough times right now the biggest question might be asking what lessons can I learn from this and how could this fit into a bigger plan that God is preparing me for because the best preparation for tomorrow is the best use of today and so what is God teaching me what can I learn for whatever I'm going through. And so get ready to do those better works that are out there. The fourth thing we looked upon was that we can ask whatever we want in his name and he will do it and that will bring glory to him. And we gave you the caveat. In order to do that though, you had to pray in his name and in his name means in his way because in his name isn't just in his name like you end a prayer to let everybody know, especially God, that you're finished. So you pray according to his name. And so now you're teaching that no matter whatever you're going through, it is not inappropriate for you to be delivered from this. It's not inappropriate for you to ask the Lord, Lord, is there a lesson I can learn? Is there some way you can relieve this? It is not wrong for Mark to request God and all of us to pray that Linda would come back to normal health at a reasonable time. It is not wrong. But yet it is still to be done in God's way and in God's time and in her health may only be fully restored, completely When she dies and she gets a new body. But it's not wrong to ask in Jesus' name for his glory. And that's the bottom line. It's for his glory. Which now brings us into a little bit of new material for today. And I want you to look at this. What's the next thing that he is now telling them to do so that their heart will not be troubled? Go to verse 15 now. In verse 15 it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, that's in a whole section there about a relationship with him. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it, so the Father is glorified. And then he says, and if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What I'd like to encourage some of you to do is to do a little scripture search on the idea of love and commandments when they're either in the same verse or in the same context. And what you're going to find so beautifully is this, is that you, don't, you often do not separate love from his commandments, that they are very, very much together. What I'd like to submit to you, though, is perhaps the better or the more proper order of what you do. For example, sometimes you will hear people say that um, prove you love the Lord by keeping His commandments. So the whole emphasis is do the commandments, do the commandments, do the commandments so you can show everybody that you really love Him. Now that's not totally wrong, but at the same time it's not probably the clearest way, make it clear, that you can express that because sometimes you can focus on doing a lot of the commandments and we're going to call it sin management.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.